0: Home is a member of the Boing Boing Podcast Network. You can learn more at boingboingpodcasts.com. And for more information about this show, visit homestories.la. The way
1: she was in the house was diametrically different to how she was outside of the house. There was a, a meekness, a humility, a, a looking down in the house. It was fire, fire. All I mean, th- there's a reason that Godzilla is everywhere in my house, because it was my way of working out <laughs> uh, who she was in my life. <laughs>
0: This is Home, stories from L.A. I'm Bill Barol.
1: My name is Rose Portillo. Portillo. Uh, I am a Los Angeles native. Um, I was born into the house that uh, we are sitting in right now. Uh, I'm an artist. I'm a theater artist, primarily, and, uh, and also a, a visual artist, primarily installation, Day of the Dead installations, and mosaic.
0: Rose is underselling her many talents a little bit there. She is, first of all, an actress. Among her long list of credits is the key role of Della in the original L.A. production of Luis Valdez's Zoot Suit, a part she repeated on Broadway and in the film. She's a founder of Young Theater Works in Pasadena, also a writer, and a teacher, and an accomplished visual artist. In her home neighborhood of Silver Lake, in the northeast corner of L.A., and well beyond, she's known for her annual Dia de los Muertos party, a sprawling celebration of life and death that spills beyond the vibrantly colorful walls of her art-filled house on a triangular plot on a hill. The house isn't big, especially considering that Rose shares it with her husband Roger Bowers, two dogs, two birds, and a cat, but it looms large in Rose's story and her families. It's been the setting for a multi-generational tale of ascension, assimilation, and culture clash, and a central player in the truce Rose has managed to negotiate with the complicated spirit of her formidable grandmother.
1: My grandfather came from Isleta, Texas, uh, which is just, it's now El Paso, Texas, a border town and a Native American pueblo. And um, he came looking for work, because it it was pretty dry in Isleta in the 20s. At the same time that my grandmother was running from the second wave of the Mexican Revolution with her mother, my grandfather wound up working in the studios. He heard that there was work out here, and the 20s is when it was just starting to happen. So um, they both found themselves in Lincoln Heights.
0: Rose's father was born there in Lincoln Heights. He went to Cathedral High, joined the Marines, decided to go to medical school. He met a girl whose family was also from Isleta on a blind date, and they got married in 1953. The two couples, Rose's parents and grandparents, were living together in a railroad house, and now there was a baby on the way. Time to move out. And up. Boogie. Get boogie. Boogie. Get boogie. boogie. They had friends in Silver Lake, and there was a house for sale across the street.
1: That was particularly enticing because the area, as it still is, but at that time, um, there were industry folk in the, in the area, lawyers and doctors. So it was a way to be where my father should be, right? And, and to start moving up in the world. Um, so... They were able to buy the house, and uh, shortly after, um, I came knocking. So for my first seven years, uh, we were all together in this house.
0: I asked Rose about her earliest memories of the house. For the most part, they have a sort of genteel tranquility about them.
1: There was a patio, and embedded in the cement was a swing set with a, a little slide. Um, so I spent hours, because uh, I was an only child for eight years. So the swing set, the trees, hearing the birds. The living room uh, was always green, a soft green. The catch was green, the rug was green, the accoutrements were green, the curtains were green.
0: When it comes to her grandmother, though, Mercedes Mendoza Portillo, the memories get a little less tranquil.
1: Shouting and yelling and throwing things at my grandfather.
0: It's taken Rose years, she says, a good part of her adult life, to untangle why her grandmother, who was such an important part of her life as a girl, why her grandmother was the way she was. Like a lot of these stories, this one starts way back, in 1915, in Mazatlan.
1: It's scary uh, down there. Her Her father was a jeweler. Um, they had to hide the gold. She would, as a little girl, take him his lunch. And underneath the lunch was the gold that he would use to make the jewelry. And they would send her because it was safer. And um, their mom said, my great-grandmother said, enough of this. It's enough. So they took the train uh, and got to the border in Arizona. And then my grandmother crossed alone and got to Los Angeles and got a job. Uh, We have always said in the family she was a seamstress. She worked in a sweatshop and um, made enough money to get the rest of the family across. Uh, Small family. Um, Her father never came.
0: Rose only remembers her grandmother talking about the trip to the North one time once.
1: I was started to ask questions. I'm middle school age, and I, I want to know sh- stuff. And uh, my, my dad just kind of sat there, and my grandmother had a couple of drinks in her, and he said, ask her. She might tell you. Ask her. And the only thing I got out of her, other than, you know, taking the gold to her father, was um, the train ride and seeing the bodies dangling from the trees, and suddenly I went, well, that'll have an effect on you, won't it? You're coming across, you're not quite 15, and you're figuring it out all by yourself, and who do I trust and who do I not trust and how do I get a job, and I'm sure that she had some contacts, you know, but nonetheless, you're a little girl,
0: now, as an adult, Rose can see how very torn her grandmother was between two worlds, and between the past that she had, in some senses, endured, and the vision of a future she held so tightly for her children and her grandchildren.
1: Assimilation was really important. So, um, when I come along and I'm a child of the '60s and I'm really identifying with my culture and and to be dressed the way I am right now was abhorrent to her. <laughs> so, so right now I'm wearing a, a top with Guatemala of Guatemalan fabric, but the Mexican embroidery and all that stuff. I was like, no, that's just for the holidays, and you don't go out in public like that because they will think you are a peasant. And being a peasant, um, identifying with anything indigenous was uh, low class and could make her throw things. It it was so important that uh, the Spanish identification, the European identification, uh, meant upper class, meant uh, possibility for upward mobility.
0: And so the house, as aspirational as it was, it was no accident that it was painted and furnished in that calming European style, those muted pale greens. The house became a laboratory for an ongoing experiment in balance, in mediating Mexican culture and American identity.
1: We always, for the parties, we always had lasagna and we always had enchiladas. (laughs) <laughs> right, and we had the normal green salad, and we had the pasta salad, and we had the buñuelos. You know, for for uh, New Year's, we always had menudo and buñuelos, and we always so, so I mean, nobody made Mexican food like she did.
0: In the house, at least, Mercedes could exercise some measure of control over that process, that dance between isolation and assimilation. Outside its walls, though, in the larger world of the North, it wasn't always so easy.
1: Here she is in, in this neighborhood with particular aspirations for the neighborhood and the people in her house and how she wants them perceived. Right? So, Directly across the street was one of her best friends that she met when she first came and and they worked together in the same sweatshop for a while and uh, and they would fight and argue and be friends and and go to the big parties and you know get all dressed up with their minks and their formals and stuff like that um, but the other part of her, which which was this Mexican immigrant that had to run from a revolution and um, is wearing her house dress and sweeping the leaves in front of her house, and what that must have felt like to get a look from someone driving through the neighborhood or walking through the neighborhood and assuming that she's the housekeeper and not the owner and that dichotomy you know
0: now rose does have pleasant memories of her grandmother at least one that she was willing to share with me when rose was about 4 mercedes began staying home and watching her during the days
1: every now and then i'd go she'd come downstairs and everybody was gone and I could hear noise in the kitchen, and it was a particular sound. And sure enough, I'd go in and look, and she'd be making, she'd be dressed. Um, She always wore black, so she'd be in a black dress, because otherwise she would be in her robe or her house dress. If she was in the kitchen, all dressed, and I'd hear the knife, she would be making chicken sandwiches. And that meant my little legs were going to fall off keeping up with her and we'd walk down she didn't drive and we'd take the bus on uh, Angus and Armstrong and we'd go downtown to one of the to the million dollar and we would see the variety show and then see the mexican movies on the big screen and she was delightful then there still wasn't much talking but it's like I'd sit down she put the seat next to me and get a blanket under me and say okay get your knees up so that you can see because I was still so little you know and make sure that I could see the movie so so in that way I you know hence my love for Cantinflas and Maria Felix and all all those great stars and and uh that appreciation for um the beauty of that, plus the variety shows and that talent and the, the music and the color and all of that, that stuff. I mean, I was destined to be a theater artist with that.
0: We are who we are because of where we come from and with whom, like it or not. And so it was perhaps inevitable that some of what Rose calls her grandmother's true spirit, the part that Mercedes only felt free to express under certain conditions, these are Rose's words, that that part of her grandmother jumped inside her bones. She remembers Mercedes going downtown on Mexican holidays, going to fancy dress balls. This is fancy Mexican dress now. And that under these circumstances, it was okay to express her Mexicanness out there in the world. Rose was in love with the color, the vibrancy, the aliveness of it all. And she remembers wondering why that door had to stay shut for her grandmother so much of the rest of the time.
1: You know, and it's also the 60s when Chicanismo is happening. Uh, the, the word is being spoken for the first time. And um, and it all makes sense to me. It Every bit of it makes sense to me.
0: Even with the self-assurance she felt as a native-born American, though, coming of age in a time that increasingly celebrated cultural diversity, that push and pull never entirely left her. She remembers moving into a new place with her first husband.
1: And he went, I know I can't keep you from keep putting things on the walls, but can we at least keep them white? So a few years later, when things started to go south, I went, well... That was a problem, wasn't it?
0: (laughs) She became a mosaicist in part as a way of coping with the strain of that marriage breaking up. She remembers seeing her grandmother throw things, remembers seeing them break, and even as a little girl, discerning the thrill of release.
1: When I'm going through my divorce, I have this... There's like, oh man, I've got to break something. (laughs) i really got to break something. (laughs) So I started breaking things, and then we had an earthquake, and things broke on their own. And I had always adored the Watts Towers and Gaudi. And I went, Well, let's just make something new.
0: Now, all of this is, in a way, a preamble to what happened next. Rose remarried to Roger, and life went on. Rose's grandmother, Mercedes, had some health issues. She went into the hospital and then into a convalescent facility, and she died suddenly one morning in 1992. In 1996... Without warning, Rose and Roger's landlord announced that he needed their apartment back. Well, now they had a problem. As it happened, the Silver Lake house, which had most recently been occupied by Rose's two grandfathers and a caregiver, was vacant. Rose's mother suggested the obvious solution.
1: And I said, absolutely not. I am never living in the house that she was in. And then I woke up in the middle of the night and went, okay, isn't part of your... Um, trajectory in life. Don't you say it's about transformation? Maybe you need to rethink this. Maybe it's a bigger journey than, you're, than you think. Plus, I needed a place to live.
0: So she and Roger moved in. The place needed a lot of work. Roger did the structural stuff. Rose did the mudding and painting. That cool, refined colonial palette was the first thing to go.
1: I got rid of all the green. It it was pink and blue, and the house went blue. It was always yellow, and it was like, no. He goes, what are you doing? I took the curtains down. What are you doing? I said, I'm letting in the light so you can grow. I don't need to grow. Yes, you do.
0: (laughs) There was only one problem. Mercedes, who had, you'll remember, died several years before.
1: Someone said, you know she's still there. And I went... Yeah, I've had that feeling. She can't stay. You can't move forward if she's holding on. So then there was the story of, of getting her out.
0: So, how do you get a dead woman out of your house? Rose tried the usual stuff, sage, fire, water, salt. And she went outside the box, too. She'd found a little clay angel in a store in Pasadena. It reminded her of her grandmother. And she hung it up in the room that had been her grandmother's bedroom.
1: And I, and I remember saying, in spite of yourself, you're going to be an
0: angel. It was a good start. Except that no matter what she did, Rose continued to feel her grandmother's presence in the house. For a time, she was convinced the spirit was residing in an Indonesian mask hanging in the stairway. A friend with a spiritual bent offered to help her out, and Rose, exasperated, asked her, how will I even know if it ever finally works?
1: She goes, oh, you'll know. I said, Lisa, please, how will I know? She goes, well, everything will feel bigger. There will be more space. Okay, whatever that means. So I uh, take the mask down. I take it outside. I, I do a ritual all around the house. I go through all the rooms of the house. I'm like, okay, we're good. I go to sleep. I wake up in the morning damn it, everything's the same. Nothing feels different. So we're still working on the house. I remember I'm in my overalls. I got a hammer in my hand. I go, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. Where the hell are you hiding? Where the hell are you hiding? And then I get the vision in my head. And I go upstairs. And I go into the studio. And I look up. In the angel. Of course you're in the angel. So I take that angel, it's clay, right? So I step outside in the street, and I throw it down. And it doesn't break. And they, the neighborhood must have thought, here's the crazy woman. Because I'm walking the perimeter of the house, picking up this thing of clay, and breaking it, and throwing it, and throwing it, and throwing it. And, throwing it. and it, it, the solidity, it will not break. It chips but it will not shatter. It will it's like she's in there holding on tight. So I leave, I leave it outside the fence and I come inside and I'm going like what the hell am I going to do? And then I went, "You're so stupid. Use the tools of your trade." So I got my hammer. <laughs> I put her in the street and I smashed it to smithereens. <laughs> Was not that hard, Rose. Now I don't know what to do with it, so I I gather all the pieces and I'm thinking of leaving it in the middle of this triangle street, so at the fork, so cars will just run over it. Yeah, but the spirit's still gonna be there. I'm gonna. Hmm. So I leave it in a in a some cloth across the street. I went, you know, you can't. It needs to be ritualized. You can't just put it in the trash. That's, mm-mm. Again, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Put it in the trunk of my car. think, well, she needs to go to the cemetery. Now, it happens that I'm teaching uh, a writing program at a continuation high school in East L.A., and I drive by the cemetery where her casket is every day so i'm like okay now i don't i'm not a person who visits graves so i don't know where she is i just know she's there i have maybe once or twice looked for my family can't find them okay so so i parked the car i'm not even gonna do a sir i'm going inside to the office. This is the name, this is the date. Find me the headstone. So <laughs> it takes a little while. they write it out for me on a card and I'm getting my bearings and I, <laughs> and I walk out. I had parked in front of the tomb, right in front. So I take it out I go, okay, okay, when was she happiest when there was a party?) <laughs> go To my car, don't ask me why. I have confetti in my car and I have some balloons, so yeah. So I, I sprinkle the little angel all around the parameter, I put confetti all around the parameter, I do a little blow up a balloon, and I just went, This is where you stay until you know how to come and go. This is where you stay. And I know you're afraid, but I can't help you anymore. I'm living, you're not. And I don't know why, but there are people who love you, who were waiting for you, who will help you. Go find them. It's their turn. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: And when she got back to the house?
1: Huge. It just felt huge. It felt expansive. ¶¶
0: It took a couple of years for Rose and her grandmother to work it out, but Mercedes comes and goes now, and it's mostly okay. A woman in a writing group that met at Rose's house told her she sensed the presence of someone there, a woman, who was confused by who they all were, but was very much enjoying them. Rose figured she'd take that.
1: That that sense of, oh, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know it was possible for women to... Um, do live this kind of life and um and be applauded for it you know so uh, um i have that real sense of just you know what brings on depression so often is, is there is no outlet there is no um perceived way to to really fulfill yourself
0: Which brings us back to Rose's annual Day of the Dead party. Every year in early November, the house is filled to the rafters. It overflows with old friends and new ones, pictures and stories. The living and the dead. Figuring out how to get along.
1: So there's something about Mexican culture that, that is more fluid and incorporates death as part of life. Uh, and there's a continuum. And it is such a an embracing celebration. It, it is such a acknowledgement of our foibles.
0: Rose loves the holiday. she says, because it's a chance to celebrate everything that's gone into making us us, foibles and all.
1: And to, to be able to talk about what we don't talk about enough, which is the people who shaped us and the people who matter. Let's talk about them, let's look ab- uh, at them, let's not hide um, what has shaped us. Because good or bad, it's shaped us. So let's, let's talk about that.
0: And for Rose, it's an annual opportunity to put out the welcome mat for Mercedes in the house that was once hers.
1: I'm uh, cautious, I'm a little wary of, of her still (laughs) I think with good reason um so I right now I I still really try and go day of the dead come on over (laughs) and and now and you know you can hang out for a few days but go so I'm pretty deliberate about um her leaving and uh when the invitation is made for her to come you really you can continue to heal and have a relationship through death and i think there are certain things that um life gets in the way of <laughs> there's just some healing that can't happen when when uh, flesh is connected to the bone Thank you.